going on, everybody? This is Chris Starr with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Thank you guys for jumping on here with me. Today, I've got Michael Bearhands Baran on, our fearless leader, and we talk about parasaur trapping. You know, we do that every so often. We go into like our plans to do that at the end of the year. Prehistoric pets, a little bit of shade thrown there, as you can see by the title. And then a few more things about like upcoming plans for the fall, YouTube analytics, as well as a few other here's and there's. If you guys haven't already subscribed, please do. Really appreciate it. It helps out the channel as well as giving us an awesome five-star review that helps push it towards the top. And if you can, if you enjoy this, share it with somebody, just one person. If you just shared it with one person, that would be fantastic. Thank you, guys. All right, let's jump right in with myself, Michael Bearhands Baran. Okay, so Michael, you just told me that people on the YouTube comment section of our channel, the most common comment is what? Yeah, so this comment drives me crazy too. I mean, it like literally drives me insane because people just, I don't know. I don't know where people's thought processes are. Like sometimes I don't think people even process whenever they make comments, but possums are not mammals. Possums are marsupials, dude, or something to that variation. Gosh, it drives me crazy, you know? Especially when you look up the definition of marsupial. If you just Google what is a marsupial, it specifically says a marsupial is a pouched mammal. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, really? I mean, how can I get so many comments of the nature? Man, possums are not mammals. They're marsupials. Can you put pictures in YouTube comments yet? Or is that just TikTok? No, that's that's just TikTok. You, oh, yeah, you darn. Okay, you can't I was going to say, take a screenshot of that every time and put it right there. Pouched mammal. Pouched mammal. Well, so there is one thing that I do, and I'm going to tell you, I have a new hobby that eats up every spare moment of my life. I mean, I don't, I don't even watch TV anymore. You know why? Because I'm trying to keep up with the. 500 new comments on the YouTube channel every day. By the way, I've even got help. I've got Cole, I've got Gracie, I've got Jenna, I've got Bonnie, all answering YouTube comments all day long, constantly. You know, it's nuts. I try to jump in when there's a new video dropped. I try to jump in and at least do the first 10, 15 comments that come through mm -hmm. personally. But then Gracie comes in at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's really, really hot in St. Louis right now. So she spends an hour and a half in the air conditioning just constantly just knocking out real simple comments, like just answering real simple comments. And then Jenna comes in on Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and she's answering comments for about an hour, two hours. And then when she's at home, she's on there just in her spare time answering comments. Bonnie sits up there all day and she's looking for the comments that say things like, oh man, that my bare hands brand, he's really fine. You know, she looks for those comments. <laughs> Combat those. Yeah. She, she looks for those comments and she answers those comments. And then I usually jump in on a new video. I try to comment first. 10, 15 comments right away, just no matter what time it is. And then throughout the day, I go and I look for questions that are asked by actual subscribers. 
And so I searched those out. There's some drop-down menus where you can filter through all the comments. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, because you know, then because I mean that's that's good content what they're asking, but they've already committed to subscribe to the channel, so I feel like they are a higher priority. Those subscribers, you know, and they're asking legitimate questions. But man, it is overwhelming, you know, especially when you're growing at 500 subscribers a day, and you're dropping YouTube Shorts every day, and we're dropping a long format video every week. And so, whoa, you guys have slowed to once a week now. Oh, yeah. There's, I guess, if you're doing shorts and those are that's what's blowing up, that's yeah. what you should put more of your time into. Yeah, definitely. And also, we're putting more effort into the edit of the long format so that it's a very valuable and entertaining video because, I mean, that's what it is. YouTube is entertainment and people want to be entertained. And that's the whole purpose behind brand entertainment. And if you're going to pick an advertising medium or vehicle that you want to load your company up on, and it's going to be brand entertainment, you better be able to entertain people. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we're trying to do here too, folks. So eventually you're going to get hit a point where it's like, okay, there's too many comments. And by this, you know, by a certain point in time, it's like, all right, I'll spend 30 minutes responding. But that's all I can do, you know, because there's a thousand of them. So we've already hit some milestones, you know. We have surpassed 10 million views on the YouTube channel. We've surpassed 15 million views on the YouTube channel. We're approaching 20 million views on the YouTube channel. Last night, we hit 43,000 subscribers. And so we're hitting all these milestones. And Cole and I have already discussed strategies for future milestones, you know, like what we're going to do when we hit 100,000 subscribers, what we're going to do. What will you do? Because that seems like two months away. (laughs) Uh, No, it's going to be around December if we stay on the current trajectory. However, I'm going to tell you, YouTube can throw you some surprises. It really can. Because we are seeing that videos that we dropped 30, 60 days ago, just all of a sudden just skyrocket, you know? It's definitely one of the interesting and good things about YouTube versus TikTok. On TikTok, a video peters out pretty fast and it never gets picked up again. But on YouTube... A video can cruise along and then all of a sudden just spike out of nowhere. It's crazy. It's a crazy world we live in when you start thinking about digital entertainment and the algorithm. To me, the algorithm is this monster within itself. It's like got this own personality. It's like, how can I get on the algorithm's good side so it doesn't chew me up and spit me out, but it'll let me cozy up to its warm, furry belly, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Lord. Because you just don't know the direction that that thing is going to go in. And anybody that tells you they know how to do it, first thing I do is I go to theirs and see if they're doing it. 
because you know you got all these all these people on on YouTube that want to give you advice. You know, there's a lot of videos out there how to get to 100,000 subscribers in one year. And the first thing I do is I go to theirs and I say, well, huh? Do they have 100,000 subscribers? And if they don't, I don't even watch it. Why would I watch somebody that's trying to tell me to do something, how to do something, something they ain't even done themselves? Exactly. It'd be like me being married 22 years. Why would I go to somebody that's been married for three years because they have the best advice on how to be married? (laughs) Right? So funny. Oh, man. There's a bunch of Instagram meme pages about that, like (laughs) Christian dating advice and stuff like that from 20-year-old couples that have been married for six months who are like, anyway, it's just, it's a super niche market, but it cracks me up. Yeah. It's amazing. I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. But I'll tell you, there is plenty of entertainment within the YouTube comments. I mean, I don't want to bore our, our listening audience with all of it, but I can just tell you this. There's plenty of entertainment just within the comments and not even making fun of people, but just how the comments trend. For instance, depending on where the majority of your viewers come from really will dictate what kind of comments they leave. We've got that one YouTube video that's well over 2 million views now just in the past two months. And, you know, it's where I walked by the reptile room. I looked through the security door and I noticed that there's a lock on the floor. I'm like, that lock's not supposed to be on the floor. That lock is supposed to be on an enclosure. And of course, you know, Big Mama Lav, she's gotten out and she's a big snake. And so she always wrecks havoc in there because just crawling around, she moves things, pushes things off the shelves and knocks things over. But anyway, she knocked over a rattlesnake enclosure, the glass busted. And so now I got a 18 and a half foot reticulated python and a rattlesnake loose in the reptile room. So that video's still viral. You know, it still gets over 100,000 views a day on that video. And those comments that come from Jay's prehistoric, where he has all these really huge enclosures, yeah. The very first thing these comments are is they, they're jabbing me because they're like, your enclosures are tiny. Those are little bitty enclosures. Why are you making those snakes suffer in those little bitty enclosures? And of course, on my end of it, I'm like, these enclosures are big ass enclosures. I can lay down and go to sleep in these enclosures. Yeah, what Jay's fans don't see is his back room, man. It is not pretty. He never shows his back room where of course 90% of his animals are. In in little bitty bins. Which which is okay because reticulated pythons prefer small enclosed areas, you know. That that's just what they want. You take Mama Lav, you know, in the summertime we move her out to an outside enclosure. It's huge, you know. Oh yeah, it's uh I didn't know that. Twenty foot long, twenty ten foot wide, six foot tall. You know, it's a, it's a huge enclosure outside. I've got one of those old koi, those little plastic koi ponds that people would sink in the ground. I got one of those out there for her to get in and, and bathe. And then I've got a little area in the corner that's got four tires, car tires, and it's got a piece of plywood over it. And then it's got some weighted material on top of that. 
And so there's a little space under it that's probably four foot by four foot underneath there. She spends some time in there, but this python that was 18 foot three inches when I put her in there, which she's bigger and longer now because she's been eating really good since she's been outside, she curls up inside of a car tire. And that's where she spends 90% of her time inside a car tire and she feels secure in there. It's a nice safe space. You know, she pokes her head up every once in a while, looks out to see what's going on around her. And then, but she's just, she's just chilling most of the time. You should send me some pictures of that. I didn't know that you guys made her an outdoor enclosure. We had an outdoor enclosure last year too. Did you put um, like hanging stuff or like big sticks or things like that for her to climb? Yes, we actually took old ladders that... Oh, that's a good idea. ...that technicians have bent, and we take them apart. So she got two pieces. Oh, yeah, slide them up and off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we got some of those in there. We got a couple of things. She, she doesn't participate in any, much of that, you know? She's got, like, two big spots that she loves to hang out with, you know? The other day, we went and picked up a fawn that had been hit by a car and it had to be euthanized. And so we knew, of course, we had to euthanize it. And so we fed that to her. And of course, she swallowed that like spaghetti. And first time I've seen her lay out in the sun, really big meal. She wanted to digest that thing all the way. Dude, I'll be excited when she can eat like yearling deer. Right, not like a big mature deer, but like a yearling. She probably could right now, couldn't she? Uh, I don't think a yearling. So this fawn was probably about two or three months old. Probably weighed about sixty pounds, maybe. Really? Yeah. That was Midwest deer, dude. Holy smokes! It, it was a big meal. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to actually see her eat it because she eats when she wants to eat, but, and we're, not, we're busy, and so we don't always get to, to follow along. And also, the, the thing about the outside enclosure, and I guess because she's outside and she's adjusted to the photo period, but she only eats at night. Makes sense. That's when those big snakes are mostly active. Yeah, she, she won't do anything during the daytime. You know, we have a pretty substantial chicken population, <laughs> people drop off chickens all the time like it's a common what? thing really i'll pull up in the morning at eight o'clock in the morning there's a box of chickens or chicks oh my god at the front gate anyway a few months ago somebody brought in three little white chickens and i was like hmm, that's interesting anyway they, they ended up being cornish like these cornish hen type chickens and so those chickens were never designed to live to mature very long. Yeah. Yes. They get they got big, super huge hips and massive thighs and drumsticks. And when they get to be about five to six pounds, they have a hard time walking. And like they'll start to get heart attacks and stuff, don't they? They can, yeah. They it's a blood pressure thing, you know. But anyway, so we don't give her very much live food. Most of the food is pre-frozen and thawed, but we give her those live, those, those really, really big chickens, and she always eats them at night only. 
they'll just run around in her pen. It's a big pen. You know, there's food and water in there. They'll run around in there until sometime during the night she eats them. But it's funny because, you know, that's a big chicken. It's a seven-pound chicken with big old hips. And the next day, there's barely a bulge in her, you know. And Mm -hmm. also, she has shed twice since we put her in the enclosure. And we put her in the enclosure last part or first part of June because the temperatures were stable. Dude. So she's she's going to put on a little bit of girth and a little bit of growth. And I'm hoping that that direct sunlight doesn't do to her what it does to the iguanas and the tegu. Nah, it, it doesn't. Don't worry about that. Uh, from from what I've seen and and heard from folks, it's way different in lizards. But it just turns lizards into little demons. But snakes, as you can see, she doesn't even, she's not even in the sun that often. You know what I mean? Like snakes could really care less. Yeah, she really isn't. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm usually there when the sun peaks. And, you know, there's, there's the uh, enclosure is sheltered. Plus, she has a secondary shelter where she, gets, she can get up underneath it. And so there's a lot of shade involved there. But half of the pen in the morning, about 8 o'clock in the morning, has direct sunlight filtering into it, you know. And nice. when she's that really big meal, she would curl up in that one little area to get some direct sunlight for a little bit. But then after... You should put that. Have you guys put that enclosure on YouTube Shorts yet? No, it's not very exciting. You know, we have, we have videos, some of it, where she's curled up in the, um, in, the, in the tire. We've made some smart aleck comments about, yeah, she's got this great big, huge enclosure, but she spends 90% of her time curled up in this tire of course, we are going to do it because we do want the comments that a lot of people make. Because, you know, on the YouTube short, we said 20-foot python. And, oh, my gosh, people just ate that alive. They were like, dude, no. Talk about engagement. That's not even close to 20 feet. <laughs> huh? <laughs> that's, that's engagement, though. That's, oh, and I yeah. mean, I've seen you do that in the past where you spell a word wrong, you know. Exactly. And just for people to go, it's actually this, myself included. I'm a, I'm a stickler for proper English. We made a conscious effort about that too, is because Cole is a great video editor. He really is, and we talk about this all the time, especially whenever you know I have a pause or I can't think, I can't pull a word out of the air. You know, most people polish up their videos so you never see any of that stuff. But I told Cole, I was like, look, I really want to come across as authentic and real, and I'm going to tell you. People do this all the time, like they can't find the word, you know, or they can't pull it out of the air at the moment, you know? And I was like, and then there's all the Michaelisms, you know? Like there's certain words in the South that we say differently or incorrectly. And I was like, I think we should leave that stuff in, you know, because it creates engagement, you know, because people love to correct you. And when they correct you, that's engagement, you know? And, and so we, we just decided to, to make it real, you know, to make it feel real. I don't have to be some polished scientist or some political figure or some, somebody that's on this high pedestal above everybody else. I really just want to be on the ground with everybody else so that they can relate, you know, because we all, we all are like that. You know, and every once in a while, I get somebody from the reptile community come in there. You can always tell who they are. <laughs> Dude. You know, 
The freaking reptile community. They have this high and mighty air about them. And I just, whenever they make the comments, I always just kind of sweep it under the rug and go, hey, yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate you coming to my channel and watching. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Thanks for the comment because that's really good engagement. (laughs) Especially the dude, the prehistoric pets fans, man, they have no idea. They have no idea, dude. Yeah, you know, me and Cole talk about Jay all the time, you know, just from the perspective. Yeah, just from the perspective, the fact that he does have millions of followers, but it's not him. He's got millions of followers because of the animals, and he's got incredible animals, and he's got an incredible facility. And, you know, we're always talking about, you know, like he's always over the top. Everything he does, it sounds like he's trying so hard. And I I really just don't want to be in that that group, you know, because one, I don't have phenomenal animals like that to carry the load. I don't have phenomenal facilities like that to carry the load. So, you know, we got to be develop our fan base based off of my personality and what we have, you know, which is just not as much as what he has. Just one of those little facts of life kind of thing, you know. And I think you're doing a good job of that, you know, being authentic. Yeah. Well, we're getting about 500 new subscribers a day that think so, that feels so. <laughs> we hit 43,000 subscribers last night. Pretty happy about that. But another thing, too, is, is you know, we are constantly crunching the numbers and looking at the analytics. And you got to stay on top of that kind of stuff. But we just recently had a spike. Like, we have been cruising right about 100,000 views a day. And out of that 100,000 views, we'll get 500 subscribers, roughly. But we've spiked recently, jumped up to 160,000 views a day. And so, you know, it's, it's a nice little spike. And the subscriber base grows with the views. When you get more views, you tend to get more subscribers. But the 500 a day seems to be the magic number for right now. So we'll see. We'll stick with that for a minute. Stick with it for as long as it's reasonable. It's just like surfing. Not that I've ever surfed, but you always see those surfers out there. They're trying to get in front of the wave. They're trying to read the wave. They're trying to figure out how this thing's going to come in so that they can put their momentum in the right spot so that they can ride that wave. Ride it all the way out and then do some cool tricks and turns in the middle. Speaking of tricks and turns. Yeah, and and for us, you know, that's what kind of content are we going to put out? What kind of videos are we going to put out? And since possums are trending right now, we're kind of leaning into that, you know, especially since we have one captive bred possum. Her name's Peaches. And uh, we had two, but they have a very short life cycle. And luckily, the male that we had bred with peaches and you know she she had a couple of babies we think but only one survived and so we've got one captive bred possum that is going to kick into the next the next generation it's a funny thing with possums virginia opossum yeah virginia opossum because we only have one species up here yep this far north plenty of possum species in north america i think there's nine distinct species of possums in north america yeah, and the other eight are 
down in Panama. Well, not that far. <laughs> they're they're scattered throughout <laughs> Mexico. You can find some those, that little pygmy possum. You can find it in Arizona, and you can find it in um, New Mexico, southern border area. But I never seen one. But they're there. What I was saying earlier, you know, U.S. centric. Oftentimes, we that live in the United States think that everything revolves around the United States, but there's a bigger world out there. Mm-hmm. You know, there is plenty that does revolve around it, but when we're in the animal kingdom, there's plenty of other stuff I want to go see outside of the U.S. I'll tell you what I really want to go see soon, though, is I want to go in the fall, not late fall, but early, early fall, late summer. I want to go up to Pacific Northwest. And I want to engage with some of the salamanders they have up there because they have a lot of oh. really cool salamanders. Yeah. What about all the salamanders that live around you? There's a bunch there. Missouri's got loads of them. Very short window of opportunity to get out there and find them. And that's really kind of the thing. Plus, you know how it is. The stuff around you is, eh, yeah, but something somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trust, I mean, if anybody knows that, it's me. I'm always, I'm super grass is always greener. The salamanders on the other side of the fence are slimier. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and they have more toes on them or a longer tail <laughs> and like three times as much slime. Right. That's it. That's it. So, yeah. It's the most me thing I've ever heard. <laughs> no. No, I think I think we're all guilty about it to some degree. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll tell you, the older you get, not necessarily by age, but by experience, you know, you, you start to see that, you know, there's, there's stuff around you that's just as good and that the other side of the fence just takes more resources to get over there. Got stuff right here that's, that's pretty cool, too. So, by... Late summer, early fall, that's like in a month or two. So you're trying to do that this year or next year? No, I, I would really like to be able to put something together around September. And what got you interested in salamanders? Because I've literally never heard you bring them up ever. You know, it's one of those things that I've always found fascinating with salamanders. And I was looking at some video footage that just popped up on my iPhone from last year where we had some torrential rains like we just had, and it forced a bunch of cave salamanders up to the surface here in High Ridge. And I was just playing with them and looking at them. And that just kind of sparked. I've always always just loved salamanders, you know? And one time when I was in the Navy, I went to North Carolina to help a, a Navy mate out to move. And when we were up there, we went to a little cold creek really cold creek and there was like these salamanders like you could find them pretty pretty easily every stone that looked like there would be a salamander underneath it there probably was and so i've always just been fascinated with the salamander you know it's it's such a hardy durable creature that is very delicate and i know that sounds like an oxymoron but they are survivalists salamanders are and and you think about they're little predators You know, they're insectivores, most of them, all of them. You know, so like they're hunting for prey items, just like a jaguar. But they're just a little bit tiny, you know. (laughs) And we never really see that because most of the time it happens at night. But they're built 
to ambush and capture prey, whatever it is they're eating, you know, little small bugs and insects. But they're so fragile. You know, they dry out really easily. They, you can break them just so easily. You know, it's not, they're not an animal that you can just freely handle and they'll just be okay with it. No. But they're survivalists, you know, and so I think that's intriguing. The fact that they're really smooth and they're amphibians is intriguing. Love their life cycle. All these salamanders you find in these cold streams, well, they don't have their young in those cold streams. They lay eggs in ponds where the water's a little more stagnant and a little bit warmer. But eventually they have to find their way back to a stream because they actually live in streams because most of their food source is in streams. Dang. And so, you know, you got all these different things, you know, they start their life as a, as a little egg and then they turn into, you know, a little larvae with these gills on the outside of their body. And then they metamorphose into this land animal. And so I find it all intriguing, just very, very intriguing. I've always loved the tiger salamander. Like that's been my favorite. I, I mean, I also like the marble sal- salamander, you know, those big, thick, chunky ones. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a decent amount of those in the pet trade. Are there? Okay. I don't know about marbles. Definitely the tigers. Yeah. And you see, and that's something I would never consider keeping. Uh, One. really? Yeah, because mostly you've got to be pretty vigilant with that, with those creatures, you know? And I'm not a vigilant pet keeper. You got to really pay attention to the enclosure and and what types of bacteria are growing and algaes and all those sort of things. I've got so many things going on that I cannot be that meticulous pet keeper. So I tend to stick to stuff that is a little bit easier and forgiving. That's why I like flying Harris Hawks. They're easy and forgiving. (laughs) Speaking of, did any more uh, eggs get laid? No. So, so going into next year, we probably could have. So Harris Hawks, I've got a bunch of Harris Hawks. Some of the listeners know we have Harris Hawks. I love Harris Hawks. And we had some, we've got a a special breeding permit, propagation permit through Raptor Rescue Inc. And so we could have used two Harris Hawks this year, two additional Harris Hawks. But trust me, I've got plenty of Harris Hawks. But I did try to hatch some eggs, and we had some failures this year, but we learned from it. One of the things is we're definitely going to switch incubators going into next year. I think we're going to go with these high-dollar parrot incubators that only incubate four eggs, so you have a really controlled situation. One of the problems we had is we tried, we had a really expensive chicken incubator set up for chicken and ducks is what it was built for. Yeah, but it's still just chicken and ducks. Well, there's that, but but the thing that we're finding is that individual Harris Hawk eggs definitely need individualism, you know? Especially since we're charting them. You know, we're like, we're charting how much weight they lose and how much humidity they need. And so if you get eight eggs in an incubator, eight Harris Hawk eggs in an incubator, Two of them need more humidity. Two of them need less. You're kind of stuck going down the middle of the road. And that's not good for either. Well, yeah, we found out it doesn't work. You know, we, um, I mean, we had eight eggs in there and they were 
three of them, four of them were charting properly. And then it kind of went array where some of them needed more humidity, some of them needed less. So we split the difference and we went with what is traditionally the average humidity. And so we didn't have any of them pip. Once we were past what we knew the hatch states were a good week past, we decided to go ahead and open up the eggs and, and see what we had. And we had a bunch of infertile eggs. There was that, a lot of infertile eggs from everybody. And then we had three eggs that went fully developed and just never pipped. Dang, fully developed. And we suspect that it was a humidity issue, like not enough humidity. So anyway, we're going to go with smaller, a little bit more expensive incubators next year. I'm hoping to hatch out two to three Harris Hawks next year. And we'll see how it goes, you know. As of for this year, we are going to be heading down to Texas, down to Brownsville, and we're going to trap a passage Harris Hawk from Texas this year. And um, I'm hoping that I can get a female. And so we're going to enter that those wild genetics into our, our little breeding project that we're gonna we're gonna develop here. We'll see how it goes, you know. When's that trip gonna be? So I'm thinking it's going to be mid-October. It's either going to be mid-October or we're going to wait. See, the problem with waiting, so we were thinking about maybe waiting till make it the week before NAFA meet. NAFA, yeah. Problem yeah. with that is this year, NAFA is in December, and you wait for a Harris Hawk that's that old. They just spooky, you passage, know? Passage, yep. yep. Yeah, they're just, just a little spooky and... I don't know. I think October is just like the perfect age in red tail hawks and in Harris hawks. But I think, but but we're pretty excited about that. We're we're really looking to get some really good video footage of the birds as family units, and then also how they approach the trap as a family unit because it's way different than red tails who just want to smash the trap as hard as they can and kill whatever's inside of it. Harris hawks are definitely a little more strategic about how they approach a trap. And, you know, it usually happens. You, you find a, a family of Harris hawks and, you know, you figure out where the best place to put your trap is. The adults will fly over and kind of just be in the trees above it or even land near it. And they're looking yeah, at it. it. Yeah, they're looking at it. Hey, and they're come like, figure this out, dumb babies. <laughs> right, right. And that's it, too. You know, they're they're like adults are sitting there trying to figure it out, and the young are like, "Oh, hey, what you got over there? Whoa, I want that! I'm going to get it before you do." And they come over and hit the trap. One year, when I was trapping in in uh, Tucson, Arizona, this was way back in 2008, either 2006 or 2008. I think it was when we were after Anakin, but we had the whole family caught on a trap. Two subadult males, we had an alpha female, and we had three young. And we ended up catching all of the birds on one trap. I bet you that was a kind of a shit show, but hilarious. It was a pig pile, man. It really was. <laughs> you know, it was a pig pile. It was like, and all of the birds were around the trap looking at the trap. And I was really looking for one, there was Two young females and one young male. And I was really after the young male. And 
the two adult males came down and they were standing on catty corner of the trap looking at it. The female came down and hit the trap and was on it, the adult female. She came down and hit the trap and she was on it. And then when she was on the trap, she was stuck, but she didn't know it. And the two males came over and they were like hitting it from the side. They got stuck. They didn't know it. And then the two female, young females came over and kind of pig piled in with their mom. And then the little male came over eventually and just went boop, like from the side and got caught. <laughs> you just like so he got caught, then we ran it. over and then it was just wild flapping in every direction you Chaos. can imagine as everybody tried to get away. They didn't flap very long. Every one of them flipped upside down. And so then it was a challenge trying to get your hand in there to get one bird without getting footed by another oh bird. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah, I can see I can see it like a like a beautiful Harris Hawk flower. Right? <laughs> All the wing petals. All the wings splayed out, out, the the mouth tongues wide open, out. tongues hanging yep, out, yep. and yellow feet in the air like little pedestals. ready to drill you the most dangerous flower oh yeah definitely definitely so definitely looking forward to that you know i think that's going to be not only fun but also some great youtube footage and youtube content the hawk trapping videos just tend to do really well I think there's two different types of viewers. I think there's the viewer that's just trying to figure out what what is fixing to happen. And then there's the viewer that, especially from Europe, we got a lot of people from Europe watching the hawk trapping videos. Oh, because they can't, dude. Because they can't. I think they're really interested in the technique because, you know, like with some of our red tail hawk trapping videos, we really kind of went through the whole process of scouting for the birds and trying to figure out, is that a bird we even want to throw the trap for? And then how do you throw the trap out of a, a moving vehicle, get it to, to land right? And then there's just so many things that can go so wrong. Hey, so on that note, that anchor that I was trying to get rid of, it's gone. Oh! And it's, yeah, it's completely gone. The room is spotless now, and I'm starting to move stuff into it. Nice. So, you know, give me a little bit of time to kind of furbish it out. And, you know, you can shoot Mr. Coleman over here, and we can do some some West Coast stuff. Nice. Some West Coast videographing. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. That definitely needs to happen. Make that a thing, man. And then, like, once winter hits, we can do falcon trapping videos, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll show you how to catch falcons with a BC. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, though, you know? Why? I've done it successfully. Yeah, with prairie falcons. Yeah, I caught a prairie falcon in St. Louis. A young passage prairie falcon. But yeah, man, so we got some we got some really good stuff coming up in the year. We got some great YouTube content coming on. Really great some a couple of really great trips planned. And it's going to be it's going to be a really good year. It's going to end well. Yeah, I'm hoping to do some recording of my elk hunt too. Yeah, absolutely. That's coming up soon, right? Mid-August, mid-late August. Of weeks. Yeah, I've got a buddy who's got like the brand newest GoPro oh. and he's probably going to let me borrow that 
I'm going to put it on my bow facing outward, you know, so I can catch the shot. Yeah. And then I've got a little 4K Sony Handycam that I'm going to see if I can get a tripod for. You know, it's always better to have two. If you can have two angles, have two angles. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. B-roll. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. All right. Let's close this puppy out. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. If you guys haven't subscribed yet, that would be awesome. Hit the subscribe button. If you haven't given us a five-star review, that also would super help out the channel. This has been Chris Starr and Michael Bearhands Baran. Hey. Have a good one, y'all. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bearhands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus. Download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.